Welcome to the Retail Transformation Show with me, Oliver Banks. This is your weekly podcast, delivering you the insight, ideas, and inspiration to successfully change and transform in our ever-evolving world of retail. Enjoy listening. Well, hello, and welcome to the Retail Transformation Show. Oliver Banks here, your host, and I'm a retail transformation coach and consultant helping to guide and support you on the path to successful retail transformation. Thank you for tuning in. This one is episode 163, number 163. Now, I'm sure you know that transformation involves working with multiple parties, both inside and outside of your organisation. It involves overcoming perhaps complicated organisational silos. It's likely to involve tackling complex challenges that may have been unsolved for years. It's likely the journey of change will not be plain sailing and without everything going to plan. And ultimately, it's not going to be black and white, but instead infinite shades of grey, often with no right answer. And so given all of this, it's critically important to collaborate throughout your transformation. And I'm sure you recognise this. But to do an excellent job of this collaboration, in particular, you need to have real and meaningful conversations, which is why I'm really excited about today's episode, because that's, if you haven't guessed, exactly what we are diving into. Now, this is actually the second in the Bunch of Banks' series, where I'm talking to other fantastic people with the surname Banks. So my guest this week is Lou Banks. Now, with 25 years of experience in operations and in business coaching, Lou Banks is the founder and CEO of Rising Vibe and is on a mission to support well-being and performance by bringing organisational goals and human needs together. She believes it's about being okay with not being okay. She believes it's about building trust within organisations so that we feel safe to share how we really feel and ultimately about helping people to help themselves. Now, Lou started her career in being q in learning and development and in change management. But don't be confused. Lou is not a traditional people development coach or a learning facilitator. She's a culture consultant And she focuses on getting right to the heart of an issue, not being afraid of a challenge and ultimately inspiring a changing mindset to enhance performance. You can find out more about Lou Banks on the show notes today at obandco.uk slash 163. That's obandco.uk slash 163. But before we do dive into the conversation today, if it's important to keep your finger on the pulse of the evolving world of retail, then you should sign up for the Retail Transformation Briefing. This is my weekly email newsletter covering key headlines and innovations from around the world, as well as insight and inspiration to help provoke new thinking and drive positive change. Sign up for the Retail Transformation Briefing for free at obandco.uk slash 163. 
So let's get into the conversation with Lou Banks and do remember to stick around until the end where I will have some recommended episodes to listen to next. Enjoy! So I am delighted to welcome Lou Banks to the Retail Transformation Show. Lou, how are you? I am very good, very cold, <laughs> but I'm all good. <laughs> well, I'm delighted you could be part of the Bunch of Banks's uh, series that we are running here. And I suppose the first important question, Lou, is are we related? <laughs> we probably are at some in some weird and random way. There are a lot of us actually, aren't there, when you... Um, I was in I was in a a shop yesterday and I've got a card and I couldn't I didn't have my card with me but I wanted my points so she just asked for my name and I said my full name is Louise Banks and she said oh there's so many of you so I said oh don't worry about it I'll just not have my points today that was just locally in Southampton so yeah maybe we Indeed. are Indeed well I I share opticians with Oliver Banks as well another Oliver Banks in my local area so <laughs> but in all honesty Lou, we are going to be diving into real and meaningful conversations, which are a key part of any transformation effort to make sure that we're on the right page. We all all collectively are on the right page. What do we mean by a real conversation? So what we mean uh, at Rising Vibe by real conversation is saying what you really mean, being explicit. Some people say speaking straight. Some people might say it's being very direct, being honest, being open, being transparent. I guess it's the opposite for me to transactional chit chat. And there's nothing wrong with transactional chit chat. You know, there's definitely a place for it. You know, if you're on public transport, you know, it's just friendly to, you know, how are you? Or, you know, nice dog. Isn't it cold today? You know, that kind of thing that, you know, it's just a nice human way to base level entry Mm. connect with people. But the real conversations that we talk about are talking about the stuff that, is concerning you that is on your mind that might be worrying you that uh, maybe something you need reassurance about that you're not getting what you need you're not feeling safe you know to be to be able to articulate all of that kind of stuff in inverted commas is is a challenge for a lot of people for most people actually and, and that is what we would call the, the real conversations which are often avoided in our experience. Definitely. I'd love to dive into some of those challenges and how we can overcome them, both as a communicating out as well as a listener to the other end of the communication as well, the conversation. Just so we're clear, I mean, maybe it sounds really obvious, but why is it important to have a real conversation? Great question. Why is it important? Well, for some people, actually, it might not be as important. So I can talk from my personal perspective and you know what rising vibe is built on it's important for me and for a lot of the people that we work with to have those conversations because they build real connections when you talk about the big stuff the real stuff you learn a lot more about somebody you learn a lot more about yourself the level of connection is deeper and we feel safer so trust people talk a lot about trust and rapport in our experience and in, in in my opinion, in our lens, you can't have, you know, really strong levels of trust and connection and rapport with somebody when you're not having those kind of conversations, when you don't know what is important to them, what might emotionally impact, trigger them. How do you know if you're going to interact in a really healthy, 
healthy way, effective way with somebody if you don't know enough about them. And actually, when we don't have those real conversations, we sometimes can break rapport and break trust without knowing it. Don't try and dig a bit deeper and understand, you know, how we might be impacting. So the whole self-awareness thing, you know, we won't know how we impact if we don't talk to people about that. A lot of people don't want to know actually because Mm -hmm. it can feel really scary. But I think not having those conversations can break trust, kill rapport, generate a sense of not feeling safe. And I know, you know, as human beings, nobody, nobody ultimately wants to feel that way. Yeah, that's really fascinating. I can certainly think of some conversations that I've had where I have felt, you know, there's, there's something missing here. There is something else that someone needs to say, but they're not saying it for whatever reason. And it it feels awkward. You can't quite put your finger on it, in my experience, but it feels like there's, there's just something missing. And you're right, it does sort of begin to degrade the relationship, particularly if between the yes. two parties of the conversation, you can't tease that real real topic out absolutely and I I don't know if you experienced this I'm sure you have at some point whether in the workplace or outside of the workplace if you're having a conversation and this doesn't even have to be you know a, a, a very deep conversation but just a general conversation where you are sharing views and opinions on a subject mm. and someone in that conversation says nothing it's really disconcerting yes when they do not participate don't comment just sit and are silent, that's really unnerving for a lot of people because ultimately we will fill in that silence with unhelpful things. Rarely would we fill in a silence or a gap with something positive. We will be thinking, oh, they don't agree or why they're not saying anything or have I said something silly or did I say something really controversial then or have I done something to upset them? Why am I, why are they not contributing? Why are they not... And what we see happening in a meeting room, for example, is when someone doesn't contribute, it can really impact the contribution from the other people. Unless, of course, they are a very well-connected, strong group of people that know each other inside out. And some people don't say much unless it's really important to them. I'm not talking about those relationships, which actually aren't as common as you think they are. Somebody's silence is powerful and can impact the sense of safety and therefore the amount, the level of contribution and ideas thrown in, you know, innovation and creativity is impacted. When someone shares an idea, or how about I've got a thought, I've got an idea, I've got a suggestion, and you get nothing back from somebody in in a space, it's really unnerving for most people. Because we feel judged, judged. we feel judged. Yes, absolutely. And that's really interesting, particularly when you compare it to one of the sort of the most common negotiating tactics that seems to be banded around of just keep quiet and let the other person fill in the void. It's that sort of feeling of of uncomfort, but sort of bit of a juxtaposition with that negotiating position that says, oh, let's create a win-win. Let's build a good, strong relationship. If you are leaving the other person hanging and waiting for them to fill in the void, yeah, it's not a great relationship builder, really. (laughs) I think it's really interesting. The whole holding the space and allowing someone that the space to be heard is is really important but I think there's something about contracting around that as well so in it when I'm in a coaching relationship when I'm one of my coachees my role is to help them move towards an outcome you know solve a problem by asking them questions based on what I'm hearing them say and letting them 
what we like to call, and Annabelle and the team talks about, let them run out. Mm. So let them run out of everything they need to say, which is holding the space and allowing them to be heard. And then when they've run out, based on what you've heard, asking another question or, or you know, sharing an observation, that for me is very different to someone just not contributing. Unless, of course, you've contracted and they've said, Do you know what, Lou and Oliver, I'm not going to contribute today because I'm always contributing. I want you guys to come up with the answers today. That's completely different because that brings a sense of safety mm. because you know exactly what's going on. And I think that often doesn't happen enough. We don't we don't contract with people around how we're going to be in a meeting or in any interaction. And then when that kind of thing happens, it can really freeze the conversation. And then the conversation can move from maybe a quite transformational conversation into a transactional one because it's safer to go, let's just keep it chit-chat. Yes. When someone else is not joining in. Well, that's really interesting, this concept of contracting into the conversation. And actually, when you you gave that example of, I'm not going to give anything today, I'd like you to to bring it out. Actually, that is in itself feels like a, a real and meaningful conversation because you are saying, Here's what I'm going to do, setting the expectations. Everyone understands what's going to happen, right? That That's real. Absolutely. And so often, a lot of the work we do with teams, you know, team dynamic challenge, I do quite a lot of mediation, is that the psychological contract between two people or a group of people is often constantly, consistently broken. But because people are not being explicit about it, about what it is that they need, the people, the person that someone is interacting with and having the conversation with might not know that they're breaking that psychological contract. So for example, one of my core psychological needs is directness, honesty, straight talking, transparency. People who know me well know that. And actually, I think just by the very way that I show up and what I do, I think people would probably assume that to be the case. But we tend to do that. We tend to wait for people to second guess, mind read and assume So by me saying what I would really appreciate here is everybody to share their ideas. And and if you don't agree with something I'm saying, I would love the challenge. That is me being explicit and bringing my part of my psychological contract into the conscious. Mm. I didn't say that. And sometimes we're not aware of our own psychological needs and therefore the contract we have. If I didn't say that and you, for example, didn't really agree with my idea, but what you're used to um, doing or the group of people you're used to having conversation with don't enjoy challenge. So you didn't agree, but you don't challenge because that's not what you usually do. You leave the room. You mentioned to someone else, you weren't really sure about my idea. I hear that. Kills rapport for me because you've broken our psychological contract. Right. But if I tell you that as part of the opening conversation, you might still not challenge or say you disagree, but you have the opportunity to. Uh, And then if you don't, and I hear that you've challenged it outside of the room, I would feel more able to say, can we have a conversation about what I talked about? And because I was explicit about it, if that makes sense. Whereas I've given myself some permission to then follow that up with you because I was explicit about the kind of interaction and conversation I'd like to have, which as I'm saying that out loud, sounds very convoluted. And But if we did more of that, the quality of conversation we would have would be far greater. And the number of people who would be offended, upset, irritated on the back of a conversation would be less. Yeah. Because we're being much more explicit about what it is that we need from a conversation. But not many of us do that as a rule. Is this sort of contracting 
conversation is is this the start of having a real conversation should you do this at the beginning of every conversation or do you begin to form a, a long-term contract that says actually every time we talk here's how we'll behave what, what what's the framework to set up this this sort of contract of trust I guess well I suppose it depends on it depends on the interaction on the relationship so with a coaching client we would have that conversation up front. You know, what is it that you need from me? Let me tell you, I'd appreciate from you as your coach, you know, that, and you would usually do that as part of a chemistry conversation just to check that you're right for each other because, you know, it might not feel right. Mm. I think that, and that's where it's more formally executed, I guess, as a rule. In my friendship groups with my friends, if someone wants to have a rant or a moan or a <laughs> vent, you know, because we want to sometimes, you know, something is irritated us or upset us, <laughs> we will often say, and I will do this, especially in the team, um, because we're all friends too. So what do you need from me? Do you want me to just collude? Do you want me to listen? Do you want me to challenge you? What do you... That is always helpful. In, a, in an environment where maybe you're working with a team, and obviously we work with teams and departments and organisations, we would absolutely talk about that contract. And confidentiality is a very obvious one. You know, every, anything we talk about today mm. and the work that we do, we want to bring real life. We don't do role play, we do real play. So it's really important, the confidentiality thing. Yep. And I noticed actually, for me, it's so obvious that I would not break confidentiality. Sometimes I don't say it. Mm. So I'll always check, you know, in the room, what do people need? What's important for you today? And a lot of people say confidentiality and I'll say, absolutely. And this, that's a great example. I do this for a living. And sometimes I don't say it because it's, for me, it's a no-brainer. Yes. <laughs> but just because I would not break confidentiality or I wouldn't take a conversation outside of the room, that doesn't mean you shouldn't say it out loud. So I think that's actually a brilliant example. Mm. to someone on the train, on the bus, you're not going to contract around how you can engage with them. Probably not. That would be a little bit weird. So I think it's about <laughs> what is the purpose of this interaction, this conversation, and bearing that in mind, do we need to have a conversation about how we're going to interact? And, and if we do, what does that look like? And what I would always say in, you know, in the work that we do, the transactional conversation doesn't get us anywhere. Mm. You know, we, have to, we have to dig deeper. And so, for example, when someone would say, yeah, I don't agree, what I would do is explore the resistance so to tell me exactly what it is that you don't agree with then uh let's explore that a little bit further and if i'm not clear about that though up front and someone just says in a room i don't agree me asking those follow-up conversation questions might feel quite forceful actually unless i'm clear about that the fact that i'm going to do that so i think it's very it's very um situation specific but it's just a great thing to have in the back of your mind i think to think about what do i want from this conversation how much do I want to get to know them? How much do I want them to know about me? How important is it that they know about me? How, is it, how important is it that I know about them? Do I need to get into the kind of contracting stuff or not? It depends on the purpose. Mm. But we don't often think in that way, do we? No, it's, it's really interesting because just as you were talking there, I was thinking a lot of this makes so much sense. And it, I can see how it would be so powerful to suddenly bring into your everyday life, not just working life, but full life. But it's funny, we just, no one teaches you to have a conversation, do they? A real conversation. We, we we sort of go through life feeling our way, hoping that, you know, we might pick it up from other people and so on. So it's really, you know, given how much of your day is in conversation, whether it's over the phone or Teams or Zoom call or face-to-face, -face, of course, now, 
or, or even just email, right? That is still a conversation. It's just a, a text-based conversation. We stumble our way through it without really thinking about, as you say, the purpose, without really thinking about almost the rules of engagement in a way. Absolutely. And and I think, the re- and, I, and I do this with my children who are 20 and 13. <laughs> I... You know, I do a lot of things as a parent, as a mum that aren't great. I'm absolutely sure about it. But we, we all do. Something that, <laughs> that I feel really good about is that I encourage them to be explicit. So for from a young age, you know, so for example, you know, anyone with children will recognise this or anyone around children will recognise this, even if you haven't got them. A child will make a statement, I'm, th- I'm thirsty. Mm. And that's an implicit statement. We know what it means, but it's implicit. It's not actually being explicit about what you need. Being explicit would be, can I have a drink, please? I'm thirsty is just a statement, Mm. an implicit statement, which actually means I'd like a drink, but I'm not going to be explicit about it. So what I have done is is been very focused on that with the kids and said, so so tell me what you mean, what is it you need? What happens though, most of us, if we are surrounded as we grow up by healthy caregivers, and what I mean by that is, you know, we are fortunate enough to have caregivers around us that love us and nurture us and some children are not lucky enough to have that Mm. but if we are most of those caregivers will second guess what we need from a baby when we're crying just guess what the cry means I mean I do it with my dog Mm. I mean he can't talk but (laughs) I know what his different barks mean (laughs) but but, but it's the same with the baby and then we we transition from that to just second guessing what it is that they need and meeting their needs for them if they're fortunate enough without them having to be explicit, we then take that into adulthood. So none of us like to be explicit about what we need or what we need or what we think or what's going on for us or what we're not happy with. We make comments like, well, they should know because they're my line manager. Well, he should know because he's my husband. Actually, most of us don't personally know what we need uh, and what we really need to say and, and to expect other people to second guess what it is that we want, we need. Mm is a very unhelpful strategy, which most people adopt. And I hear that all the time. Well, they should know because we have to learn to be more explicit in every conversation. Yeah. Wouldn't it be amazing if we were, because it would make life so much easier, but people are afraid to do that, actually. Yeah, absolutely. And even if you, using your example, said, I'm thirsty or whatever, I'm frustrated, at least you can begin to open the conversation from that. Whereas if you just say nothing, that's that's the challenge. Why, Lou, is it, such a challenge why is fear overruling us to be able to have a a real conversation from neuroscience there is evidence that tells us that the same part of the brain is activated the same brain circuitry is activated when we experience what is called social pain Mm. as it is when we experience physical pain so the anterior cingulate cortex will light up when we feel disconnected from another personal group of people, whether that is reality or not. So if we think someone is yawning, you know, someone yawns, we don't think they're yawning. We observe someone yawning in our meeting when we're speaking. We are likely to experience social pain because in that moment we will feel like we're being judged, we're boring or we're not adding any value. or, or, or. Mm. So any sense of disconnecting, whether it's real or not, from another group of people activates that part of the brain. And judgment is at the heart of social pain. So when we judge ourselves, you know, internal dialogue, the conversations we have with ourselves, I didn't do a great job then. Oh, he's yawning, I must be boring. Oh God, they're they're not engaging. I'm obviously not doing a great job. 
they obviously think I'm talking rubbish. You know, all of this internal dialogue that a lot of us will, that means that part of the brain will light up. Mm. If somebody says to us in a meeting, I don't agree with that, even if we've asked them to share, if they don't agree, we will still feel that pain because it's it's how we're wired. And that dominates us and is really helped us in the work that we do to help people be okay with the fact that they don't like having those conversations because we work with a lot of senior leaders who are very uncomfortable to admit they're not comfortable having those conversations because they're a senior leader. When we talk about social pain and we talk about physical pain and, you know, when you're in chronic physical pain, anyone just to have a headache all day, it's exhausting. Yeah. There are people in life and in the workplace who are experiencing chronic social pain because they're not saying what they mean. They're not being explicit. They're not, they're not speaking straight because they are afraid of, being rejected, being misunderstood, being excluded, you know, losing their job, uh, impacting their career, looking silly, looking incompetent. All I mean, I could go on and literally go on and on. And yeah. So we unconsciously will feel this fear of I might get judged, I'm misunderstood, rejected. So I'm just not going to do it. I'm just not going to say it. And that's why people don't tend to give feedback. That's why people in our experience are rarely performance managed and held to account effectively. That's why people are very uncomfortable as a rule talking about you know, mental health challenges and, and addressing that with people. That has got a little bit better during the COVID situation because people have had to. The equality, diversity and inclusion agenda, people are terrified of having conversations about that in case they get it wrong. Yeah. All of that comes back to social pain. And we cannot, we cannot eliminate it because it is a brain thing. But by talking about it and being open about it and saying to people, it is normal to not want to do it, mm. actually helps people because until we're open and honest about how we really feel about something, we're not going to be able to improve. So until I can say, uh, I might be a chief exec, but you know what? I'm terrified about having that performance management conversation with Oliver, then I'm not going to get any help. Mm. So the social pain piece is real. We also scan for social threats. So we experience social pain even when it's not real when it's not actually happening when we're not being judged we still might feel we're being judged right. and we'll still experience pain i mean we can't avoid it so knowing that has really helped people to, to to recognize they're not weak they're not incompetent there's nothing wrong with them they're just human yep yeah i think that's really fascinating that we all have these different psychological challenges and and barriers going on in our heads and we i suppose think that we are alone in this challenge in actually everyone is feeling maybe the same or maybe a different set of challenges in their heads. And it's a, a recognition of that that allows you to head into a conversation, understand both parties perspective and, and yeah, go from there. It's fascinating. Yeah. And we, we all, we all experience something called negativity bias as well, which, which means there's something called the event related potentials in the brain, which are, voltages activated by uh an experience mm. i'm simplifying it yeah <laughs> I, I love this stuff so yeah so and research has shown that experiences that elicit what we would call it rising vibe low vibe emotions uh, most people would call them negative emotions but we avoid that language we, we talk about low vibe emotions mm -hmm. but experiences that don't feel good for us will drive a high voltage response in the brain so in a way, we'll stamp the neural pathways in a much stronger way. PTSD is, a, is an extreme example of that. That 
means we are more likely to remember, well, we will remember experiences that have felt negative or not good more than experiences that have felt good. So we might have had some conversations that we were afraid to have or we were finding them difficult to have, but we had them and they went well and we felt good afterwards. Mm. We only need to have one experience that feels not great. And we will unconsciously kind of delete the ones that did. So that's another thing on top of social pain that gets in the way. And the only way, the only way we can start to feel better about having, you know, conversations that are more real, that are addressing the stuff that really needs to be discussed, even though it's scary, is by doing it. Mm. Because the more we do it, we become more comfortable with the discomfort. And we remember how we felt afterwards, which is 99% of the time in our experience, better. You know, we were glad we said it, we're glad we did it. So knowing all this, I think, helps a bit mm. because we are all in the same boat with that. Some of us, so I have conversations that feel uncomfortable on a regular basis, you know, every day a week, pretty much. And I'm still not in comfort zone, but I'm certainly not in panic zone and I don't avoid them. I don't enjoy them, but that's just because I do it a lot. Yep. So what we do is try and encourage people to, to recognize that it's normal to be afraid. It feels uncomfortable. And the more you do it, the less the pain still pain but the less the pain. yeah and it's almost that once bitten twice shy mentality and getting over that like you say recognizing that it's there facing into it mentally in ourselves but then being open right <laughs> and it's so much easier said than done so when i hear people say and they say it a lot there's two there's two phrases and we're not talking about mindset today well we kind of are right it's the mindset you yeah. have conversation but you just need to change your mindset Okay, yeah, it's that straightforward. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> we just need to have a conversation. Yes. Usually, we just need to have a conversation. But just having a conversation, because of all the stuff we've just talked about, is not as simple as it sounds. Most of us are fortunate enough to be able to speak. Mm. But it's, we're not just talking about speaking. We're talking about having a meaningful conversation and saying what you really want to say is not quite so straightforward. So if there was one thing given it's not a, a simple switch if there was one thing that people listening today can do as soon as we wrap up this episode what would be that one thing that allows everyone to have a better conversation so the thing that jumps into my head is when you notice you are avoiding or making excuses as to why you cannot have a conversation ask yourself is a really simple tip Ask yourself, so, so what's stopping me? What do I believe will happen if I say what it is that I need to say? Either say that out loud to yourself or writing it down is really powerful. You know, journaling and coaching are really powerful because they get the stuff out of your head, down on paper or, you know, out into the ether verbally. Yeah. Write down, worst case scenario, go worst case, because that's where you're going anyway, which is what's stopping you. Write down, what do I believe is going to happen? And then when you look at that list... Ask yourself, what evidence have I got that would really be the case? Really, what are the chances of that happening? And if it did, could I handle it? Of course you could handle it. You wouldn't like it, could you handle it? It's not about would I like it, could I handle it? But the first bit, what evidence have I got that that would happen? What real evidence have I got? Managing my negativity bias, what evidence have I got? And if it did, could I handle it? Is a really simple way to start to turn down the volume on the unhelpful thinking around having these conversations. Yes. It's a great question to ask yourself at any time when you're worried about something. What evidence have you got, really? Because you haven't tried it yet. So you don't know because it's in the future. Mm. Um, 
that would be the one thing that's quite tangible. You know, we're all about stuff that's practical and tangible. That's a really tangible, simple thing to do. And it's really revealing because if you capture that kind of information every time you feel afraid, you'll start to notice things. Yes. That really is getting in the way for you. I bet. I can see how powerful that would be. Now, Lou, I'd love to ask you, how do you and how do, how do you at Rising Vibe help people with this? And how can people find out more? So our mission, strangely or not strangely enough, uh, <laughs> is to support and challenge leadership to have the conversations that matter to drive high performance. So we are we work in culture. You know, we would call ourselves we call ourselves culture consultants. But basically, simply, we help people have conversations about the stuff they really need to have conversations about with very simple, practical frameworks and tools. You know, so when someone says, just go and have a conversation, you go, okay, use this framework, it will help you Mm. to generate a culture that feels psychologically safe because you can have the most highly skilled, competent people working in your organization who don't feel safe and you're not going to get high performance. And the conversation enables that. And you can find out anything that you'd like to know about us on our website, which is www.rising-vibe.com. Super. That sounds amazing. And, you know, given that we are thinking so much about transformation and change, conversations are such a key part of that, because otherwise we're going to have a a, a chit-chat, as you said right at the start, and we're not going to get to the real crux of the issue. And that will mean, I, I think we can all guess what happens to the ultimate transformation it's just not going to happen. It's not going to fly. And actually, one last thing to say, and I, I always do the deathbed thing, which, you know, sounds very morbid, but I just mean in a, when people talk about, you know, working loads of hours, for example, I say, so when you're laying on your deathbed, will you say to yourself, I'm so glad I responded to every single email in my inbox, but I didn't spend enough time with my wife, my husband, my family. Mm. Of course you won't. And I think with the conversation thing, there's something about when I lay on my deathbed, will I have any regrets that I didn't say what I really needed to say to, to, to certain people. And I asked myself that, have I said everything I need to say here? And there are still people in my life that I probably haven't said everything yet, but I'm aware of it. It's a great question to ask yourself. What would I regret if I don't say it? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, yeah, my, my head is racing now. <laughs> Thanks, Lou. <laughs> <laughs> this has been a, a really fantastic session. And I suppose I would really like to say thank you so much. I've really appreciated this time with you diving into it it's a fascinating topic i love all of the science that goes into what our brains are doing and how that then triggers our different behaviors and so on it's a fascinating thing lou banks thank you so much for joining me here on the retail transformation show thanks for having me was that not a fantastic session there with lou banks I really enjoyed it and in particular I loved the tangible actions that you can take away. Now do remember to subscribe to the Retail Transformation Show for new episodes every single week where we will dive into key topics to help you understand the changing world of retail and make the changes that allow you to adapt and evolve and win. There are loads of great episodes in the archives of the Retail Transformation Show. And in particular, I've got four to pull out for you today that I think are going to be great follow-on listening from this conversation. Firstly, in episode 95, I spoke with Adrienne Carter, a fascinating conversation called Reading Faces for the Win-Win. Now, Adrienne is the face whisperer. 
and she knows all about the conversations that our faces are having, even though the words may not be coming out of our mouths. A really interesting partner episode to this one, actually. Then a little earlier than that, episode 85, I spoke to Jana Busby, and we spoke about the psychology of change. And if you enjoyed understanding some of the science about what's going on in our heads during these sort of challenging times, that's a great episode to listen to as well. Also, do check out episode 132, which was called Overcoming the Confusion of Transformation. And in particular in that episode, I spoke about getting clarity and communicating clearly, as well as recognising and testing assumptions. These are all topics that we spoke about today. So I think you're going to enjoy listening to episode 132 as well. And then, of course, in the last episode, 162, we kicked off the Bunch of Banks' series with Paul Banks discussing the evolution of loss prevention. So do enjoy listening to some of those episodes. I will put all of those episodes on the show notes today at www.obandco.uk slash 163. Oh, and as a reminder, if you do need to stay up to speed with the evolving world of retail, then do sign up for the Retail Transformation Briefing, my weekly email newsletter packed full with insight and intel on retail transformation. Head over to obandco.uk slash 163 and sign up now. Thanks so much for listening and I'll look forward to joining you on another episode of the Retail Transformation Show very, very soon. Bye for now.